0: You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hi, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGann, and we're joined with Dr. Carl Vennerstrom today.
1: Glad to be here. Thank
0: you for coming. Uh, Dr. Vennerstrom is a professor here at the Augustan Institute Graduate School. So... Today, we're going to talk about St. Bridget of Sweden. Uh, Her feast day is July 23rd. And the point of these these episodes are to dive into the lives of the saints and look to them for inspiration for us still here on earth. So St. Bridget of Sweden, let's dive in. I had just one initial question for you before you you share more about her life. I've heard different derivatives of her name. Mm -hmm. Is she always known as St. Bridget or what are maybe... Are there other I've heard Brigid, maybe with a D. Yeah, um,
1: right. Um, yeah. What is so, she known as? Uh as I understand it, her name would have been pronounced Brigida Okay. Uh when she was alive. And in Swedish. And yeah. actually I know a couple of Brigidas who yes. are of Swedish ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not exactly sure. The anglicization story for Bridget or Bridget, but the same um, person. Usually, the French are involved if English is weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: okay. But but Birgitta would be her name in in, in
0: Swedish. Sweden. Yeah. Okay, yeah. very good. Um, well, can you paint a picture about the introductory stuff about Saint? Yeah, um, Saint Bridget.
1: Yeah, a, a couple things are interesting about her. Um, First, she's a, she's a married saint, and these are somewhat rare. I mean, especially from the medieval period. Yeah. Um, so she was married for twenty eight years, uh, and then her husband died, and she became a widow. And instead of uh, finding a new husband, she dedicated herself to a sort of life of prayer and asceticism okay. and uh, religious mission and. Uh, she also has a daughter Karin, um, which would be Catherine, but in Swedish or like a short version of Catherine, okay. In Swedish, actually, my sister's named Karin, which is a strange name, but
0: oh, neat, I didn't know um, it was, it's Kath- connected to Catherine,
1: yeah, that's right, I didn't know that until recently, but yeah, so her <laughs> daughter is also a saint, uh, okay. her daughter joined wow. her. And a lot of her sort of religious enterprises. Yeah, uh, she had eight children. Uh, six survived their uh, early childhood. Okay, um,
0: that's pretty neat to have a a mother as a saint, and have a mother daughter saint duo. Yeah, a powerhouse. No, it so. is a it's a, a real powerhouse.
1: Man? Yeah, there, there are some. There's like the the uh, the Cappadocians, uh, the family of Basil and Gregory and Macrina. And
0: yeah,
1: they had like a. I think a grandmother was a saint as well. Anyways, okay. yeah, it is nice when these are paired together.
0: Yes, yeah. and were they? So, was she born in Sweden? Um, did she grow up there? She said the middle medieval ages. Was her Yeah, so
1: she was born in thirteen oh three. We think I think it's like within a few years, and she died in thirteen seventy three. That date is more certain. Okay. Um. And yeah, like I said, um, she was married to a man named Ulf, who had a sort of Important governmental position. Who was sort of a governor of a province or region of Sweden hmm. and the Kingdom of Sweden. Um, and she was, I think, at least relatively learned for for a woman. And she was sort of recruited to help, uh, enculturate and teach the queen when she when she married the the king of Sweden. Uh, she she also like had. Sort of deep, deep learning in scripture. She read a lot of scripture. Okay,
0: um, so she wasn't. A, she wasn't a part of the royal family. She was just no, almost, but she was an, hired.
1: Yeah, yeah, she was an affluent society. At okay, least. yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, So, um, but yeah, she's also a good example of the kind of evangelization that can occur in the home. I think uh, mm. this is something that Benedict the Sixteenth says about her that, um, her husband Ulf... Uh, wasn't necessarily uh, of the strongest faith at the beginning of their marriage, but was evangelized slowly by his wife over the years and himself Mm. came to have a very deep faith. Um, In fact, yeah, toward like the end of their life, toward the end of his life anyways, they both Took up a sort of monastic form of life together. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah the, the the I love hearing the,
0: about the married saints just because you know yeah it's they're hard to come by. So not that's are that right. you know officially.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, they're 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 there, but yeah, not always recognized. So.
0: Right. yes. Yeah.
1: So this is a this is a nice story of evangelization, which is not necessarily mm-hmm. going across the world, but. Just within your uh, home, yeah, creating holiness within your own home, yeah, um, yeah.
0: Well, but okay. So she was a married saint. She had mm-hmm. eight children. Um, grew up in Sweden. What? What did she have a great influence with the royal family, or what was kind of her uh, name to fame or claim to fame?
1: Yeah. So a lot of the sort of claim to fame comes after her husband dies so the first part is sort of this hidden life of sanctity and family life and evangelization in the sense that i've spoken of Um, the second part of her life is more when sort of things happen i guess that are like i don't know uh more more recognizable in in this kind of story um Mm -hmm. so after ulf died Um, She settled near a Cistercian monastery in Sweden. And she was a Franciscan tertiary already. But she began to have uh, more frequent visions. Um, So these visions often were intense and vivid depictions of the crucifixion or the nativity. Often uh, depictions of of Mary, especially in a like a, a, a sorrowful state, mm-hmm. um, and so she had a lot of these visions, at least at least relatively speaking. And she had some, had some as a child and earlier her earlier in her life, but um, they they really sort of pick up here. And okay. her confessors and advisors um, translated them from Swedish into Latin and. They were then published.
0: Um, I was going to say, were were they publicly known in her time period or uh, were they written down anywhere or was it just her inner circle of spiritual guides that knew about them?
1: At yeah, time I, I, I'm not 100% certain. I think mm-hmm. they were published more widely after her death. But, yes. Um, yeah, and actually uh, the specific form they took often had a sort of uh, strong – Um, influence on the medieval art that followed. So this is happening in the 14th century. Um, And in particular, I just wanted to note uh, the sort of change in depictions of the nativity that happened. Um, So on the first slide, we have here this image of the nativity. It's This Byzantine icon. This one happens to be Armenian. It's from an illuminated manuscript. But you see Mary, they're reclining. This is the sort of standard way to, uh, to image her. And she's in the cave, which is, I think, supposed to, to make you think of...
0: The nativity. Well,
1: right. Yeah, of the, nati- yes. of the nativity, but then also to sort of look forward to the tomb mm,
0: and mm-hmm. maybe
1: even think about baptism. Hmm. Um, we do have the animals, but she's alongside Christ, who's in the, in the manger there. Um, You see St. Joseph at at the side. Um, When we look then at this next one, you see this is from the 15th century. Um, And you see strongly the influence of the vision of uh, St. Bridget. Um, In her vision, at least in one of her visions in the Nativity, um, the child Jesus, uh, it's a description of his birth. So Joseph sort of... uh, modestly like walks out of the room or the cave um, and then Jesus is suddenly born and he's lying on a sort of blanket or cloth on the ground and from him uh, emerges this like extremely bright light that hmm. illumines everything and makes the candles not even like need to be there all this kind of stuff Um so you'll often see um, and yeah. then and then uh, instead of lying next to Jesus uh, the Virgin Mary is depicted uh, adoring him. So, this is sort of a, a, a stock scene that's called the adoration of the child. Um, okay. And so this is basically exactly, you know, Mutatis Mutandis, this is the kind of image she saw in her vision of the of the nativity.
0: Okay. Um, can you can you <laughs> go, oh, go, ahead.
1: Oh, well, I was just going to point out it looks kind of like there's straw under little baby Jesus there, but those are actually like beams of light that are. Oh, so there's, okay. there's beams of light coming from heaven uh, from the angels, but then there's also these like little needles of light coming from Jesus. So. Okay. Uh, y- y- there's a lot of different sort of, f- a lot of different uh, variations on this theme, um, like chiaroscura, so, like you, 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 find these where the whole thing is dark except for like the area right next to Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, okay. so a, a lot is done with, with with that kind of theme, but
0: so the yeah. emanating light from baby Jesus and yeah. almost the posture in which Joseph and Mary are depicted mm-hmm. in art were after the or after the fourteenth fifteenth century were. Influenced by Saint Bridget,
1: yeah, exactly, in her visions, yeah. cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah, you neat. can say this. You can kind of say the same thing about depictions of the crucifixions, maybe to a, to a lesser extent, but yes, yeah,
0: okay, fascinating.
1: Yeah.
0: So she has an influence on medieval art. Did was she mostly? Uh, did she have any political or? you know, so social influence of this time period or was it more hidden in being subtle guides to the royal family?
1: Yeah, this is interesting. So uh, we have these visions which are very devotional and there are also visions which are sort of political and ecclesiastical. Okay. Um, so St. Bridget pairs well with St. Catherine of Siena in that they were uh, both chided the Pope in Avignon. So this is a period when... the the papacy was away from Rome and there was dispute about who the true pope was. um, And St. Bridget uh, knew and felt quite strongly that the papacy should be in Rome where it belongs. Mm -hmm. And so she was highly critical of uh, its presence in Avignon. Um, And she was also critical of other leaders, not just of the church, but of... um, uh, even secular rulers of governments. Um, actually, I think, so she has devotion from Catholics. She also gets devotion from Lutherans, and they really like uh, her criticisms of the Pope, of course. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. She's still
0: our Catholic saint. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> um, did, she, did, did she and Saint Catherine of Siena know each other? Did they uh at all? not not that I know okay. of but yeah. I mean in heaven they do, but okay yeah, just Yeah, That's right.
1: <laughs> um interesting. Yeah, and she went uh on a long pilgrimage sort of for the rest of her life. Um at a certain point with her daughter Karin. Um and they went to Rome. They went to Assisi. They went all over Italy, and they eventually went to the, to the Holy Land. Mm. All this time, mm-hmm. she was sending directions back to uh, Sweden for the establishment of a, of a religious order okay. for both men and women. Um,
0: did they have yeah. a? Did that religious order have a particular charism? Was it for the poor or uh, – and do they still exist today? Do uh,
1: they just died out okay. recently, Sad. the Brigadines. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> oh, well. But, yeah, they had, I mean, a, a good run.
0: They had a good run, yeah. yes. Yeah,
1: for that time so. and season
0: the Lord had anointed for them.
1: <laughs> That's right, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting for, I think uh, – pretty coherently uniting like a male and a female side side yes. to it but um, yeah um, I don't know the history of the order it, itself too well but I think service to the she poor and contemplation one. right
0: yeah. okay
1: Yeah.
0: very good uh, another question I had was with these visions and maybe it's more of a today um, question how, yeah. how does the church <laughs> I don't know verify if these yeah. visions are worth You know, Mm -hmm. looking into or or authentic sources for inspiration or not. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. So um one interesting vision to think about that, uh and this is also true of Saint Catherine of Siena. Uh you get in these visions the like words of Jesus. Mm. Like he's supposed to be speaking to them directly. Um you might think of like the same kind of dynamic with Saint Faustina, if Mm -hmm. you've read her diary.
0: Yes.
1: Um Yes. So, yeah, in, 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 in one vision in particular, it's the crucifixion, and Jesus is telling her that he would die many such deaths for, like, individual mm. believers, even though he only needed to die once to save, save everybody. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's not particularly controversial, but, uh, yeah, the church, when it recognizes saints and doctors of the church and this thing, Um, One doesn't necessarily recognize like every word they ever spoke as sort of an authentic revelation from God. Um, But I think this is what JP two said about this, that it, and about her in particular, I think the church recognizes the sort of authentic, uh, interior reality of her holiness. Mm-hmm. And yes. So the, it, it works as a whole, maybe even if we don't want to affirm every aspect of every part. I guess that, that's kind sure. of vague, but yes. yeah.
0: No, that makes sense.
1: Um, yeah, so it's not as though if someone, even a very holy person, claims to have a vision, that the vision is necessarily true in every
0: respect right right it's the whole context of their life the miracles associated with them that's right their legacy yeah well i guess on that note would you say are there other noteworthy events in her life that um people don't know about or other legacies that she has left the church that we benefit from today
1: yeah i think um One important thing to mention is that she is a co-patron of Europe. So there are six co-patrons of Europe. Um, Cyril and Methodius, the the missionaries to the Slavs. Um, Benedict, St. Benedict, um, the the founder of the Benedictine order. Hmm. Um, uh, Catherine of Siena. Who, who we've mentioned, mm-hmm. St. Bridget, and then Edith, St- Edith Stein or St. Benedict of the Cross. Yes. Um, and, yeah, all, all, all these figures contributed greatly to the church in Europe, but also mm-hmm. to Western civilization as a whole. Um, like, if you think of Cyril and Methodius, like, they gave a written language to these peoples and, like, made sort of civilization possible in like mm-hmm. a real mm-hmm. way or benedict his his monasteries that were spread all across europe sort of stitched together a society that probably would have completely fallen apart into barbarism yeah. without this influence um and you sort of go down the line and uh saint bridget had that same kind of effect with her Political inter- interventions, mm-hmm. on the one hand, but also um, the sort of deep piety that undergirded them. I think that's yes. important.
0: Interesting. No, it goes back to what you said initially. Hashi is a, a great example of a saint who she was a, lived a very holy life, but also had this intersection in the secular world mm-hmm. and was kind of leaven yeah. in the world. Yeah, um, evangelization in the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. And in the family place, yeah. the family home. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Is there anything else about St. Catherine or St. Bridget of Sweden?
1: (laughs) that's all I have.
0: Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful. Um, Well, thank you so much. Uh, I said at the beginning, her feast day is July 23rd. So St. Bridget of Sweden, pray for us. Pray for us. Thanks for joining. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org.